Uh, we are in the middle of a, a series called Jonah, uh, the man who ran and the God who ran after. And we are kind of looking at the book of Jonah, which is on page 644, if you pick up one of the Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. Jonah is an interesting book because it's the kind of book that um, has a few different levels to it. Jonah, there's a lot of water involved. And uh, if you read the, the book of Jonah, it works a little bit like water does in that it's, it's shallow enough that children can play in it. And, and a lot of us know the book of Jonah because of Sunday school or because our parents read it to us or whatever. And, and so there, there's a very shallow aspect of it. And yet at the same time, it's deep enough that you can get on your scuba gear and sort of take a dive for hours on end, right? And, and, and so it has all these levels to it. And we're kind of taking the second approach to it. We're really digging into it to see what it is that God has for us and why it is that he's put the book uh, in the Bible in the first place. And so if you remember last week, what we did was we kicked off this series by saying basically three different things. One is that you and I, uh, if we are believers in Christ, if we've been wrapped up into God's story, we have a mission in the world. God has a particular mission for us and only us that only we can complete. But secondly, if we're going to complete that mission, God needs to do something in us before he can do something through us. Do you remember that? And so God needs to do a work in our hearts before he can send us on that mission. And thirdly, most often, the thing that God needs to do in and through us is that he needs to defeat within us our propensity towards rebelliousness against him. Because every time we rebel against something that God asks us to do, we're not just rebelling against the thing which he asks us to, we're rebelling against who he is and why he's in our life. And so those are kind of the three elements. We're looking at, really, the prophet of Jonah and what uh, his life was all about. And this week, we're kind of turning our attention from Jonah, uh, and the guy who ran, to God, the guy who runs after Jonah. Um, and, and so let me ask this as we kind of get started. Have you ever, ever wondered if God um, has done something in your life simply for the purpose of punishing you? Come on, be honest with me. How many of you have ever thought, this has got to be just the punishment of God in, in my life uh, that, it, that has come my way? I, I had a little bit of an experience of this when, uh, when I was in seminary. I was going through my classes, and uh, I was about the halfway part mark. And I thought in my mind, I didn't look at my at my coursework, and I wasn't really paying too much attention. I was just kind of taking classes, going through the motions, trying to get as much stuff done. And I thought I was further along than I was. It was one of those deals where, like, I thought I was in 11th grade, but I was really at, like, nine and a half, you know? You act like you're a senior, but you're really a sophomore, and you need to get slapped around a little bit. One of those deals. And, and so I decided it, it would be a good idea to pull out my, my sheet of classes and see just how far I'd come and, and, and what I had left to do and how long I anticipated it would take me to finish the work. And so I sat down at the kitchen table. I pull out all my stuff. I'm going through it. I'm trying to figure out the timetables. And I got up at the end, and I totaled everything up, and I had like two and a half years left in my coursework. And, and I literally, I'm having this conversation with God at the table going, why? What have you done? Like, I, I thought I was much further into the future 
than I am now, and I total it up now, and I see that I'm not nearly as far along as I thought I would be. Why did you have me sit down and even do this, God? Like, why couldn't I have just, like, played the part and kept chugging along without having to just see just how far away the light at the end of the tunnel was? Because I had thought it was, like, this big, and now it went to a pinhole, right? And so it brought a great amount of despair into my life, and I'm thinking, God, why in the world would you allow me to have this kind of awareness? Are you just trying to punish me? Is this just to, like... Let me know how small and insignificant I am and how, how big you are and how much I need to learn from you. It's one of those experiences where I ask the question, what, what have I done to deserve this? Right? Have you ever asked that question of God? See, so we, we all live in a society that works and operates on the basis of merit equals reward. And so you live up to a certain standard, and what happens? You get rewarded for your good behavior, right? What happens if you mess up, though? You get punished. And so we live in a world where if you live up to your boss's expectation, the way it should work out is that you get a promotion, right? But if you underperform in your job, then you get demoted or you get laid off. And we live in a world where everything pretty much is based on, the, on merit equals reward. Rewards and punishment. We're rewarded for good behavior and we're punished for bad behavior. But I know with a group this size that many of us have had an experience like this where we've had somebody in our lives, we've had the misfortune of having someone come into our lives that just seems to love when we mess up. You ever have someone in your life like that who just loves to stand back and watch you and wait, and then the moment you mess up, the moment you make the smallest mistake, they're on you, right? I mean, have you ever had a boss or a teacher or maybe a parent that, that has operated something like that? It's not the most fun thing in the world, is it? They, they seem to get some kind of sick joy out of knocking you down a peg. Um, the, the person that came to mind instantly for me is way back when I was in elementary school, um, I had a kindergarten teacher by the name of Mrs. Lutman. It just sounds bad, doesn't it? It just, just sounds like a nasty, nasty person who should have been a parole officer and not, not a kindergarten teacher. But, but she was the kind of person that when you got on her bad side, and apparently I did at the very beginning of the year, she would make it her life's purpose to make your life difficult every step of the way. And so if you got one thing wrong, it wasn't just a, a mistake. It was a huge deal, right? And you need to be called up to the teacher's desk. And in kindergarten, when you're called up to the teacher's desk, it's never a good thing, right? You're, it's always to get punished or to get uh, whacked upside the head or, or, or something. Unfortunately, though, some of us, we carry this idea, especially if we've had somebody like this in our life, we carry this idea into a relationship with God and we start to see him as somebody who doles out punishment for things that we do bad and not only doles it out, but enjoys doing so. And you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever thought of God in that sense? That he is the kind of person that just sits back and waits for you to make a mistake and then when you do, he's on you with the ruler, right? 
some of us, we, we can carry an understanding, whether it's been through something we've been taught or something we've experienced ourselves, we bring that understanding into a relationship with God and we start to see him as this brooding taskmaster that's just waiting for us to mess up. And the problem with this line of thinking is that we're about to read a new section in the book of Jonah, and if you have this understanding of the way that God works, that he's this punisher, then you're going to import this understanding into the way that you read this story. And you're going to think to yourself, God is punishing Jonah for what he's done wrong. Because if, if you remember the story up until now, what happened? In verse 1, God comes to Jonah and he says, look, I've got a task for you. I have a mission. I want you to get up and I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, those wicked people, and I want you to tell them how bad they really are. And Jonah says, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get up and I'm going to flee in the opposite direction. So he goes down to a port town called Joppa. He hops on a boat and he starts sailing for Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And so we're about to read the next portion of it. And if you have this understanding of God that he's some kind of punisher, you're going to read it as Jonah messed up and God's going to whack him now. Um, but I want you to keep your mind open because that's not the reality of what's going on here. So let's read and then we'll discuss a little bit about what that means. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he laid down and, and fell deep, deep asleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call to your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what land do you come from? And he answered them, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. But this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? But they knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men began to row back to land, because they, uh, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for, for this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. There are two perspectives that are going on in this story. I want to highlight them for you because they have real big implications for us when we have great storms that come into our lives. And so I want to highlight these two perspectives and see which camp that you might fall into because it will impact the way that you live your life, particularly when difficult times come. And so we're going to highlight for all of us the fact that there are the, the perspective of the sailors in the story and then there's the perspective of the narrator. And we're going to see how these two things play out for us because they 
each perspective, it demonstrates our worldview. Um, and so we're going to start out with the sailor's perspective. If you know anything about sailors, particularly in this day, these guys had seen and done everything, right? Their, their livelihood was spent on the sea. And so these guys spent their entire lives fishing in the ocean. There's not much that's going to scare these guys. So if you're thinking modern-day equivalent, think something like the Deadliest Catch guys, right? Anybody ever watch that show? Just, you know, they're just dripping with manliness, right? They, they go out into the, the Bering Sea, and nothing phases them, nothing, you know, gets them afraid. And when there's a new guy that comes along, they're like, you know, just shape up, do what you're told, pull that 500-pound crab trap onto the ship, by the way, don't get wrapped up in the cord. You'll go to the bottom of the ocean. You know, it's like everyday life, you know? This is these guys, incredibly tough men. And yet a storm like this comes along, and they are freaked out of their minds, right? They, they, can't, they don't even know what to do, and so they start panicking a, a great deal. If you know anything about sailing in that day, and particularly the, the nations around Israel, um, they worship a number of different gods. And sailors in particular were highly superstitious people. And the reason for that is because there was so much uncertainty in their line of work. That these guys would go out into the ocean. They had no idea. They had no Doppler radar in those days. They didn't know what storms were coming. They just went out and did their job. And so they would pray to various gods, hoping that one of those gods would look down on them favorably and would give them a good catch and would keep them from dying. And so when they went out, they were incredibly superstitious, and they would start to pray to all these various gods. Uh, and their worldview was something like this. Um, I need to get the right God on my side so that it will go well for me. And if I live right, if I do the right things, then the gods will look down on me favorably, and things will go well for me. So I live okay. Gods do their part. Everything turns out okay. And if something bad goes wrong, it was because of one or two reasons. Um, either I offended God unknowingly and he decided to punish me, or I, I offended him willingly, in which case I need to make up for it. And so these guys would go out onto the ocean um, with this view of God, and, uh, and they would go and fish. Um, and so if you did unknowingly offend a God, you basically had two options. You would either go back to the God that you think you offended and you would plead your case before that God, or you would go to a different God who you thought might be stronger than the first God and you would pray to him and go, can you defeat that one? And you start to see this play out. And you see it play out in three different sort of expressions that we're going to encapsulate into three different phases and, and see how they apply to our lives. And so the first of the expressions is this. Uh, God is punishing us. We're in trouble. There's a major storm. Things aren't going well. Therefore, it must be that God is punishing us. And this is their first line of action. It says this. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went down to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. 
So God is punishing us, and we need to figure out what it is that we've done wrong so that we can make up for it. So call out to your God and see if he won't give his favor to us to get us out of the predicament that we happen to be in. Last week we said that the book of Jonah starts with one of the most clear pictures of disobedience in the entire Bible, right? God says, go east. Jonah picks up and he goes west, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. So it's easy to read this section and come to the conclusion that God is punishing Jonah for that disobedience. And that's exactly what the sailors begin to think, right? God is punishing us for being in this situation. He isn't to be disturbed, and we've disturbed him in some way, and so we need to make up for it. I kind of think of a, a similar situation. When I was uh, in high school, my dad had taken a job doing third shift. And uh, my dad's a, a great guy, really pleasant guy, doesn't have a... a angry bone in his body, really, but but he would uh, come home from his third shift, and he would go to sleep about nine in the morning, and then I would come home from school about three, and I'd walk into the house, and I would know that for the next two hours, dad's asleep, and he needs to get his sleep, otherwise uh, he's going to be really cranky, and he's not going to have a good night at work. And so the first two hours of getting home was kind of like tipping you know, tiptoeing around the house, trying not to wake Dad up, because if I disturbed him, I knew things wouldn't go well for me, right? Um, because this normally very, you know, gentle, docile guy would turn into a very uh, angry person very quickly with a small amount of sleep because I disturbed him. And so I couldn't play my music too loud. I just tried to stay out of the way because I didn't want the 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 scorn of my father who would wake up early out of his slumber. Here's the thing. When we take this kind of approach to God, this sort of tiptoeing around him, let's not disturb God, let's try to live our lives in a decent enough way that we don't wake the sleeping giant over in the corner, then what happens is you start to see God as this person who is to be distanced from your life and not to be disturbed for any reason. The only reason in this picture that God would actually intervene into your life is to dole out punishment for disturbing him. And a lot of people, we have this understanding of God, right? Live your life as good as you can, because if you mess up, God's going to smack you. And so just do things on your own and try to make up for your own badness. Here's the issue, though. When you start to see God that way, he can never be a loving, intervening father in your life, right? Because in order to live your life to any, to any standard, you need to push that God as far away from you as possible. You need to distance yourself from him. Otherwise, you get punished. And this is a, a, a really devastating way to see God. And particularly... When God does allow storms to come into your life, rather than driving you towards God, it drives you in the opposite direction. Because you think to yourself, God is the one who is punishing me, and I need to get as far away from the punisher as I can. And so when bad things, difficult things, hurtful things come into your life, you will find yourself, by necessity, taking steps back from God, one after another. And so you can even think to yourself, I don't see God that way. 
I've never thought of God as a punisher. I've never thought of him in that light. But I would ask you this. Look at your actions when bad things come into your life. When hurtful things, when harmful things find their way into your everyday life, what does it serve to do with your relationship with God? I would submit this to you. If you find yourself backing away from him, that those things, when they come into your life, you end up further from him, then you tend to see him as the source of punishment and not of grace. And it's, it'll be incredibly devastating for you if you live your life like that for any length of period of time. All right, the second is this. Not only they go from God is punishing us to someone else is to blame. It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. So they say this. The sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? For they knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. The next logical thing, right, is to go from God is punishing us to it's not my fault. Bad things are going on in my life, like these sailors, and it's, it's not our fault. It's someone else's fault. If only this person hadn't done this, then things would be better for me. If only it weren't for that debt that you accrued, then, then I would be able to purchase the house that I want. If only my boss wasn't such a jerk, then I would have been further up the corporate ladder by now. If only my spouse uh, didn't treat me this way, then I would have more freedom to do this. What does that do, though? What does that create in you if you constantly see your life as a product of someone else's negative actions? What do you become? Defensive, but there's a term for it. It starts with a V. You become the victim, right? Your entire life becomes that of the victimized person. It's not my fault. It's everyone else's fault. Someone else is to blame. I'm the victim. When I was a, well, I'll say when I was a kid, but it's probably still true of me. Um, I was like the worst person in the world to play miniature golf with, with my family. With a miniature golf? Why in the world? Be, because every, every shot that didn't go my way, I would blame the clown, you know, who, who's not. If it weren't for that stupid pinwheel, it, if you look at it, it turns quickly and then it stops when your ball gets to it, you know. If it, if it, weren't, <laughs> if it weren't for the course, if it weren't for the wind, if it weren't for the sun in my eyes, if it weren't for this club, if it weren't for my bad knee, you know, as a 12-year-old. I would have made the shot. I would have won. It would have been better. I, I'm certainly a better golfer than anyone in my family. And the fact that I haven't won in a few rounds means that something else is at work in my life to keep me from winning, right? It, it's, this, it's sort of victim mentality. I say that it used to be true because it's, it's probably still awful to play miniature golf with me. Uh, 
But when you live your life as a constant victim, always shifting blame and responsibility to other people, then you will, by necessity, always have a hard time changing your life. If you're constantly the victim, then why would you ever need to change? You don't, right? It's other people that need to change. It's other people that need to clean their act up. I'm the victim here. God, don't you see it? You will have a very, very difficult time growing or changing or learning what it is that God wants to teach you through the storms of life if you blame other people when those things come to you. And here's the thing. The storm that comes into your life may in fact be the product of someone else's stupidity. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because if you see yourself as the victim, you will fail to learn the lesson that God has for you in the midst of that storm. And you'll end up being filled with pride and self-righteousness. You'll start to see yourself as better than those people that brought the storm into your life. If it weren't for them and their ignorance, things would have been just fine for me. And all the while, God is saying, I'm trying to talk to you through it. Right? Lastly is this. They, they not only say God is punishing us and someone else is to blame, but by the end they're, they're shouting, save yourself. Um, Jonah tells them to throw him overboard um, so that the storm will stop. They say, if you just get rid of me, then things will go better for you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So in the, the end, the sailors decide the best course of action is we, we've tried to blame God, and that didn't work. We've tried to blame this guy, and that didn't work. We're not willing to, to throw him overboard, so let's just row as hard as we can back to land and see if we can't right the ship ourselves. And so they make a good go of it, but it says that the storm grew even louder than before. They're hoping to make, make it by their own effort, that hopefully their own effort can get them out of the situation that they're in. Things have gone from bad to worse. God can't be trusted. It's not my fault. But my only option is to fix things the best way that I know how. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you think, I don't think I have any way out of this myself. I don't think that God can be trusted because I think he's probably the one that brought it into my life. Um, it may in fact not be my fault. Something needs to happen though and because I can't go back to God for it, I need to try to make it out on my own. I need to try to row harder and harder and harder to right the ship. And God's there the whole time he's gone, would you just, would you just acknowledge me? Would you just, just ask me why I've brought the storm? No, 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 I can't. I, I don't want to know the answer. I'm just going to keep rowing. I'm just going to keep rowing. The only thing that matters to me is getting back to land. I don't want to learn the lesson. I don't want to learn it. I just want to get back to shore so I can get back on my everyday normal life. I'm not willing to go there, God. Have you ever been in a situation where you know full well that you have no control over that situation and you've been, that you've been dealt 
but you decide to flail at it anyway because it seems like the only option. That's where these guys are. So let, let me ask, how effective have all their methods been? <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah, <laughs> that, that about sums it up, yeah. <laughs> They're no better off than when we started, right? Blaming God, blaming others, trying to save themselves. At the end of the day, they're still right back where they started. How about their state of mind? They may not be out of the storm, but do they have peace in their hearts? No, right? They're, they're even more freaked out than before. We're out of options. We've tried everything that we possibly can. We're right back where we started. I haven't learned the lesson, and so I'm freaked out. Their, their hearts are in the same place, if not worse, than when they began. Okay, so this has been the sailor's perspective. Now, as the readers, we get to read the story from outside of the story, right? So we have a great advantage because we don't have to live through it and only see it from the perspective of those who are living in it. What's the other perspective? The other perspective is from the point of view of the narrator, and he includes a line at the very beginning of this, which actually gives the whole section its context. And it says this, then who was it that brought it? It was the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So it's obvious that God's the one who sent it. But let me ask this, because this is the real important question. Why did he send it? Why did God send the storm? So what? So he couldn't run, yeah. It, wasn't, it couldn't be to punish Jonah. If God really wanted to punish Jonah, he would have said, uh, you disobeyed me, you're going in the opposite direction, you're dead. <laughs> you think God has the power to do that? Absolutely, right? Done. You're gone, you know? He could squash him like a bug if he really choose to. If it was about punishment and about Jonah getting what he deserved, Jonah deserved at this point death. And yet God doesn't do that. Instead, he, send, he sends a storm into his life. And the real reason that God sends the storm is because God is absolutely determined to overcome Jonah's disobedience and rebelliousness not with punishment, but with his mercy and his grace. And so the storm, it is not for punishing Jonah. It is the active presence of God in the life of Jonah to rescue him from the effects of his own rebellion. The storm was necessary to bring Jonah to a point where God could rescue him. In, in God's view, what that means is that by the end of the story, Jonah's in the middle of the sea, right? They've decided we're going to toss him overboard, and when they do, everything calms down. Jonah is now helpless in the midst of the sea. You think, what good is that? Why in the world would God allow such a storm to bring Jonah to the point where he's absolutely helpless? And the only reason I can think of is because it is better to be in the middle of the sea than in Tarshish. 
The state that Jonah is in by the end of this particular section is better for Jonah than for Jonah to have succeeded in his own disobedience. If Jonah had made his way all the way to Tarshish to go and live his life the way he would enjoy and love to live it, it would have been worse off for Jonah than to be helpless in the midst of the ocean. That's the only thing that makes sense, guys. That's the only thing that makes sense. And see, all of us, we're a little bit like Jonah in this sense. We, we have within us this deep, deep desire to follow our own way, to be the masters of our own universe, to be the people who says to ourselves, I rule and obey and, and have function over everything I survey. It's literally to be our own God. It's to say to ourselves, no one can tell me how to live life. I'm going to live it on my own. And when God brings something into life that combats and conflicts with my plan, my dream, my intentions for my life, we say back to God, I don't like your call. I don't like where you're sending me. I'm not going. I'm going this way. But God persistently pursues us with his mercy and grace, not to punish us, but to defeat within us our own self-idolatry, our own self-sense of being in God for our own lives. And here's the thing. You can run from God, but you can't outrun him. You ever try that? I did for three years. I, I continued to run from God. I knew uh, in my freshman year of college that God was going to do something in my life. I knew that he, I didn't know the right words for it. I just knew that he wanted me. You ever get that sense? God is after you and he wants you. And if you're here today, I, I would say it is by no accident that you find yourself here today. Because God wants you. I even had a, I had a dream before I was a believer um, that I was standing up in, a, in front of a group of people teaching from the Bible. I woke up from this dream and I'm like, what in the world was that all about? I don't even think I believe in what you've written in, or, or what's written in the Bible, let alone teach it to other people. And yet, three years before I was a believer in Christ, God had given me a vision of what he was already going to do in my life. And I knew from that point on, God wanted me. And I would say the same thing to you. God wants you. He wants to do something in you. And he wants to do something through you. And so and you have the choice. You can run from it. You have that ability. You can run away from God. But you cannot outrun it. One day, God will track you down. <laughs> He will catch up with you. He will orchestrate the days of your life in such a way that you finally come face to face with the person that you've been running from. And what you will find is that God has not been pursuing you all the days of your life just to punish you. <laughs> yeah. He's a bounty hunter to, to pour out his grace on you to pursue you with his mercy, to say, this rebellion that you've been trying to do against me, it will do you no good and it will lead you only to harm and to death. 
And so I am willing to intersect your life in the middle of the ocean to bring about change in such a way that I can actually save you. That I can save you rather than you trying to do it yourself. And so that's what storms are about. By and large, the storms that you've experienced in your life, the storms that I've experienced in mine, are God's constant attempt to get our attention so that we would know exactly how good and gracious he is. And yet I know, as soon as I say something like that, you're already thinking of a situation in your life which is the exception to the rule. Yeah, 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 storms, 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 I get it, but not that one. Right? I understand that God does that, but you don't know what I've been through. Why would God do that? Why would he allow such pain in my life? Why, why in the world would he bring this about in my life? And the answer comes to us through Hebrews 12 when Paul says this. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? God disciplines us for our good. That we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, right? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Here's the thing. Sometimes... The grace of God in your life won't feel gracious. It will feel hurtful. It will feel like punishment. It will feel like God is angry with you. But that is never the reality. Particularly for those of us that know Jesus as our Savior, come into a relationship with God. He is constantly pursuing us to create something in us because we're his sons and his daughters. So when hardship comes into your life, when adversity comes, Paul says, consider it discipline because God is trying to produce something in you that you don't have the ability to produce yourself. So here's the big question you need to ask. When bad things happen in your life, do you have the perspective of the sailors? Do you say, God is mad at me, so I better shape up and obey the rules so that he'll leave me alone? It's easy to fall into that. Or do you have a biblical perspective that says God is trying to get my attention. He's trying to get me to understand something about who he is, something about what he's called me to do. And based on that, I will interpret the storm in my life as being the trial of God so that I would know who he is. So I'd know what he's trying to produce in me. He's trying to get my attention so I don't do something stupid to mess up my life even more than it already is. So here's the big idea. Many of us experience seasons in our life of trial and of difficulty. But those seasons in our life are God's attempt not to punish us, not to abandon us. They are merciful attempts to draw us back into a loving relationship with him so that he can complete in you his good purpose. So do you ever wonder why would God go to such lengths to rescue Jonah? 
why not just like, okay, have it your way. You do your thing. I'm going to raise up somebody else. Wouldn't it have been a lot easier? I'm assuming that there are other prophets in Israel when Jonah was around. It would have been far easier for God just to say, okay, Jonah's out. I'm going to cross him off my list. I'm going with Nahum. He's my man. I'm going to circle him. We're going to see if he does something. If he disobeys, cross him off the list. I'm going to the next guy, right? Why does God pursue Jonah? The only answer is that he wasn't finished with it. And let me say this, as we kind of wrap up here. God is not finished with you either. He's not finished with you. And so no matter what storms you've interpreted, no matter how far you've run, no matter what you've done to this point in your life, know this, that God is not through with you. And the reason that he's not through with you is because his love for you will not allow him to leave you on the sidelines. God loves you too much for it. And so he pursues you all the days of your life so that you might know just how much he loves and adores you. Jesus put it this way in Luke 15. He says this, Suppose a woman had ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. By the end of the section, Jonah is floundering in the middle of the ocean with no hope of getting out himself. And that's exactly where God wants him. And so if you've been there, if you are there, and you feel like right now life is just an untamed ocean, and I can't see land, and I don't know where to go, my encouragement to you would be this, that God has you exactly where he wants you to go. Because for Jonah, he's about to bring about salvation through a very unconventional method, right? This is where the fish comes into play. And God may have you in this season of life so that he might save you. Because when he does, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. I hope that's an encouragement for you today. Even if you've experienced storms and you don't know what life has for you next. I've been there. And God knows exactly where you are. And he's trying to rescue you.